Chapter 13 of Mr. Incool's Misadventure. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording by Matt Butcher, Peoria, Illinois. You can visit my blog at mattbutchershop.blogspot.com. Mr. Incool's Misadventure by Edgar Saltis. Chapter 13. What May Be Heard in a Green Room. One evening in November a new ballet was given at the opera. Its production had been heralded in the manner which has found most favor with Parisian impresari. The dead walls of the capital were not adorned with colored lithographs. The advertising sheets held no notice of the coming performance. But for several weeks previous, the columns of the liveliest journals had teemed with items and discreet indiscretions. Through these measures the curiosity of the two Paris had been coerced afresh, and, when the curtain, after falling on the second act of the favorite, parted again before the new ballet, there was hardly a vacant seat in the house. The box which Mr. Incoul had taken for the season was on what is known as the Grand Tier. It was roomy, holding eight comfortably, and twelve if need be. But Maida, who was adverse to anything that suggested crowding, was always disinclined to ask more than five or six to share it with her and on the particular evening to which allusion is made, she extended her hospitality to but four people, Mr. and Mrs. Wainwaring and their daughter, New Yorkers like herself, and the Duc de la Deche, a nobleman who served as figurehead to the Circle des Capuchins, and who, so ran the gossip, was anxious to effect an exchange of his coroneted freedom for the possession of Miss Wainwaring and a bundle or two of her father's securities. During the entracte that preceded the ballet, the box was invaded by a number of visitors, young men who were indebted to Maida for a dinner or a cup of tea, and by others who hoped that such indebtedness was still in store for them. There came to a popular artist who wished to paint Maida's portrait for the coming salon, and an author who may have had much cleverness, but who never displayed it to anyone. As the invasion threatened to continue, Mr. Incoul went out in the corridor, where he was presently joined by the Duke, who suggested that they should visit the foyer. They made their way down the giant stair and turning through the lobby, passed on through the corridor that circles the stalls until they reached a door guarded by non-subscribers by a Suisse about whose neck there drooped a medallion chain of silver. By him the door was opened wide and two men passed on through a forest of side scenes till the foyer de la danse was reached. It was a spacious apartment, well lighted and lined with mirrors. The furniture was meager, a dozen or more chairs and lounges of red plush. It was not beautiful, but then what market ever is? To Mr. Incoul it was brilliant as a café, and equally vulgar. From dressing rooms above and beyond there came a stream of willowy girls. Few among them were pretty, and some there were whose faces were repulsive, but the majority were young. Some indeed. The rats, as they are called, were mere children. Here and there was a mother of the Mademoiselle Cardinal type, armed with an umbrella and prepared to listen to offers. As a rule, however, the young ladies of the ballet were quite able to attend to any little matter of business without maternal assistance. The Italian element was easily distinguishable. There was the ultra-darkness of the eye, the faint umber of the skin, the richer vitality, in fact of which the anemic daughters of Paris were unpossessed, and now and then the gothic gutturals of the Spanish were heard, preceded by a wave of garlic. That night the subscribers to the stalls were out in full force. 
There were Jew bankers in plenty. There were detachments from the jockey and the merlitons. One or two foreign representatives, a few high functionaries, the minister of the interior, and he of the fine arts, a member of the imperial family of Russia, a number of stockbrokers, and an Arab sheik, flanked by an interpreter. Before the curtain rose, battalions of ballerines formed on the stage, and after the performance began, they were succeeded by others, the first contingent returning to the dressing rooms or loitering in the foyer. In this way there was a constant coming and going, accompanied by the murmur of the spectators beyond and the upper notes of the flute. Mr. Incool was growing weary. He would have returned to the box, but he was joined by acquaintances that he had made at the club, Frenchmen mainly, friends of his companion, and presently he found himself surrounded by a group of viveurs, men about town, who had their Paris at the end of their gloves, and to whom it held no secrets. They had dined and talked animatedly in ends and remnants of phrases, in a sort of verbal telegraphy, an exclamation helped by a gesture sufficing, as often as not, for the full conveyance of their thought. Mr. Incool spoke French with tolerable ease, but having nothing of moment to say, he held his tongue, contenting himself with listening to the words of those who stood about him. And as he listened, the name of Meret caught his ear. The program had already informed him that it was she who was to assume the principal role in the new ballet. Consequently, he was not unfamiliar with it, but of the woman herself he knew nothing, and he listened idly, indifferent to ampler information. But at once his interest quickened. His immediate neighbor had mentioned her in connection with one whom he knew. They came up from Bayaritz together, he heard him say. She went there with Chose, that Russian. Balaguin? Precisely. What did she do with him? Found the Tartar, I fancy. And then? Voila, this young American is mad about her. He is rich, then? What would you? An American? They are it all. Yes, a rich one always wins. How mean you? This. He plays back at the Capucine. His banks are fructuous. Ah, as to that, and the speaker shrugged his shoulders. A rustle circled through the foyer. Men stood aside and nodded affably. The lights took on a fairer glow. Stay, murmured the second speaker. She is there. Through the parting crowd, Moret passed with a carriage such as no queen, save perhaps Semiramis, ever possessed. She moved from the hips. Her body was erect and unswayed. It was the perfection of artificial grace. Her features were not regular, but there was an expression in them that stirred the pulse. Je suis l'amour, she seemed to say, and to add, prends garde à toi. As she crossed the room, men moistened their lips, and when she had gone, they found them still parched. Mr. Incoul followed her with his eyes. She had not left him unimpressed, but his impression differed from that of his neighbors. In her face, his shrewdness had discerned nothing but the animal and the greed of unsatiated appetites. He watched her pass and stepped from the group in which he had been standing that he might the better follow her movements. From the foyer, she floated on into a side scene, yet not near enough to the stage to be seen by the audience. A few machinists moved aside to let her pass, and as they did so, Mr. Incool saw Lennox Lee. It was evident that he had been waiting there for her coming. There was a scarf about her neck, and as the young man turned to greet her, she took it off and gave it into his keeping. They whispered together. Beyond, Mr. Incool could see the tull of the ballet rising and subsiding to the rhythm of the orchestra. Then came a sudden blare of trumpets, 
the measure swooned, and as it recovered again, the ballet had faded to the back of the stage. Abruptly, as though sprung from a trap-door, a regisseur appeared, and, at a signal from him, Marette, with one quick backward stroke to her skirt, bounded from the side scene and fluttered down to the footlights amid a crash and thunder of applause. Mr. Incoul had heard and seen enough. His mind was busy. He felt the need of fresh air and of solitude. He turned into the corridor, and from there went through the vestibule until he reached an outer door, which he swung open and passed out into the night. He was thinly clad in evening dress, and the air was chilly, but he thought nothing of his dress nor of the warmth or chill of the air. He walked up and down before the building with his head bent and his hands behind his back. A camelot offered him a pack of transparent cards. A vendor of programs pestered him to buy, but he passed them unheeding. For fully half an hour he continued his walk, and when he re-entered the box, Maida, who of late had given much attention to his moods, noticed that his face was flushed, and that about his lips there played the phantom of a smile. End of chapter 13 This recording by Matt Butcher, Peoria, Illinois. You can visit my blog at mattbuttershop.blogspot.com.